This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Greetings, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. This episode features a chat with Janelle Fulgham Emanuel, who is otherwise known as Trey Exagtoff from Morbid Angel's mother. The conversation took place on June 20th, 2019, after I reached out to Janelle to gauge her interest in a chat for the show. This is the first time the episode has been published on YouTube, and you'll soon hear how Trey was introduced to the guitar, her recollections of his precocious talent, and her memories of Morbid Angel's earliest days. She also provides a deep insight into the psyche of the player that must be credited as the greatest extreme metal guitarist. Janelle is a beautiful soul, just a lovely, kind-hearted lady. She played a crucial role in advancing extreme metal because she fostered Trey's enormous talent from the youngest age, and we as fans, we owe her a debt of gratitude. So here she is, Janelle Fulgham Emanuel. That'll be very nice. I appreciate that. No worries at all. All right. Well, so, so. I'll, I'll start. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start off with my first question then. Okay, which is mm-hmm. uh, Trey? Does he come from a musical family? In other words, is there is there a bit of a, a musical heritage um, on your side or on his dad's side? Well, actually, um, I wouldn't say really a musical. My mother, when she was very young, played. Uh, an acoustic guitar Mm. and she was very good at it and then she also played the piano by ear never took lessons and she was very good at that in fact Trey and I both uh, took piano lessons and we decided that wasn't for us so Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that no I wouldn't say that we were uh, a musical family at all there was a lot of talent in the family but not music-wise. Where, where do you think his talent may have come from them? I know we've all got various gifts as, as human beings, you know, God-given gifts and the like, but his talent's extraordinary. It truly is. So was there a moment in time where he picked up the guitar and you just noticed that he was doing it without a lot of encouragement? It was just something that was in him? Yes, there was an exact moment. He, um, We were visiting um, with my parents and... My older brother, John, had a guitar, one of those sets that comes with the guitar and then a little speaker and, Mm. you know, one of those um, old, old time sets of a guitar and a speaker. Mm -hmm. And I think it was even missing the string and Trey saw it and picked it up and strummed it a few times and he said, wow, I like the way this feels. And that was the uh, that was the beginning of it. And um, I would say he was about uh, maybe 15, 16 years old when this happened. Mm-hmm. And he showed such an interest in that that his father bought him a guitar, and we decided to set him up with lessons. And he um, had three lessons and said they're not going fast enough for me. So he went out and bought a uh, Ted Nugent album, and that was kind of the beginning because um, Ted Nugent was really the only, you know, real metal, closest to the only metal that there was back then. So, Mm -hmm. but, um, and then after that, he... um, he decided that he wanted a Morley Walmart pedal. Yep. And he came to me and said, Mom, I really would like to have this, and if you would buy it for me, I will become famous. And I looked at him, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, right. I, <laughs> uh, so I kind of blew that off, and then he traced very, very convincing person and he <laughs> he wouldn't uh, leave that alone so I finally yep. gave in and I think we went to a place called Thoroughbred which is still a music uh, store and um, when we went in there Trey picked up one of the guitars that was in there and just started ripping through it doing 
uh, scales and a couple of um, rhythms. And mm. everybody that was in the store just looked at him and their jaws dropped like, who is he? Mm. And so we bought the Wawa pedal and uh, he became famous. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. The, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Yeah. I suppose it's um. It's I've got kids myself, and a, a six and a and a four year old, and my six year old, whose birthday's today actually. But I bought her a drum kit, and oh. I, I can't remember if she said that she'd be famous. I don't think she framed it like that, but I think she said something to words to the effect of, <laughs> "I'll play it all the time, and then I'll become good, and I'll be like the bands you like to listen to." Because she knows how much I like Pete. You know, Peter Sandoval. Of course, you know Peter Sandoval and Lee Harrison. Oh. I love Pete. Oh, yeah. Pete, Pete's yeah. just. Uh, I had a conversation with Pete uh, not even twelve months ago, and I, huh? I, you know, we went into such detail. I didn't feel comfortable releasing it as a podcast episode. I had to write an article on it because he shared so much with me, and he just comes across uh-huh. like the biggest sweetheart. Well, Pete has been like a son to me, um, and I can honestly say that Morbid Angel would not be who they are had it not been for Pete. Mm-hmm. Pete was such a, a valuable uh, asset to the band. And, of course, he created his own little uh, genres with the, the double bass pedal and some mm-hmm. other things. And um, before they did their first European tour, which was in 1989, Pete had come over from... Uh, San Salvador and joined the band and was staying with us until they they went off on their tours. And I just fell in love with him. I just thought he was the coolest thing. And throughout <laughs> the whole time that he played with Morbid Angel, I we used to do we used to talk a lot and he would tell me stories about things that were going on. So Yeah. And then I saw him about um um, um, it was about three, maybe three or four years ago, they were doing a uh, finishing up a tour in Tampa. And I went to the show and Pete was there. And I was just beside myself because I had not seen him in quite a while. Mm-hmm. But he was, um, he's so loving and just, he's just a wonderful person. Wonderful person. That's so great to hear because that's that's the impression that I got from the hour-long conversation that I had and just the way he conducts himself. And, and I think, you know, the big thing from the fans' perspective, he's never said a bad word about Trey. You know, that musical partnership, should it ever reconnect, is intact. And that's really important because there's just so many examples of when members of really important bands such as Morbid Angel, when they break apart, there tends to be that, that breaking of the relationship and the personal factor as well. But I really – and, and one thing that he did share with me, God, I hope this is um, marries up with what you understand too, but he was uh, he was ready to rejoin Trey a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. But he's not a he, – of course, because of his newfound faith in Christ, he can't be around a lot of the imagery and the like he was explaining. And that was his reasons for and, – and there were certain songs that he didn't want to perform anymore. Um which, which so I there thought, were things that he was unable to do due to the, the back issue. Okay. He had yeah. Had, you yeah. Know. yeah. Yeah. It's a, so, I, you never you never say never with these things. You know, I mean, they're both fit guys. I don't know. Pete's had his um, health issues there with his back, but he's got his back playing in Terrorizer at a, at a level, at a great level. You know, he's his back performing. I, I think yeah. I think his greatest drum performance is probably on uh, Heretic from two thousand and four. Because that, that yeah, out, yeah, yeah, Heretic is just he's he's interstellar forward thrust on that one there, and a lot of fans. It's not their favorite album, but Pete's drumming on that one there is just all time. Well, one of my favorites um, with Pete was, of course, um, what was it called? Uh, drum check, mm-hmm. you know, where he just goes crazy on the drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Punchy was their manager at the time, the tour manager, and yes. And it starts out with uh, Trey, you know, doing That's the right. drumming. And, and, <laughs> and then he says, okay, Pete, let's hear a beat. And so he starts out real, real slow and then just pulls it out. And it's amazing, amazing. So 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know how many yeah. times I've listened to drum check myself, but it's a lot actually because it's on the bonus <laughs> disc that comes with it. I I know I I had a feeling it was Trey's voice because I I you know, I'm not familiar with Trey, so I don't know what his voice sounds like outside of some of the YouTube clips that are out there, but I had a feeling it was Trey that was on the intro saying, you know, doing the conductor thing. Mm-hmm. I think he taps the conductor's wand or whatever they're called and stick and um yeah. <laughs> you know, he introduces uh, Pete to the broader audience. So I thought that was really cool and the, and and it showed I think that, and I've always known this because I'm a big fan, but it showed that Trey and the band do have a sense of humor as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They they have a lot of fun. Trey loves, loves, absolutely loves to tour. And, in fact, um, yeah, he's been home now since, oh, I guess, their last tour, whenever that ended. Hmm. And he's not been able to go to Europe. You know, they've had a little bit of, of oh, visa issues, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, he is, um, he's dying. You know, he just, um, he, went, he needs to get to Europe. And, of course, the label is is uh, Warner Brothers, and they want him to get to Europe. And hmm. they want to work with them and do another album. And so he's, he's trying to get this all worked out. And it's been really, really heavy on him. Because he, yeah. you know, he, he he's very happy with what's going on right now, but he still needs to get to Europe. So, mm. yeah, and we'll, and, see. and we'll see how that works out. Yeah, look, I, I think the thing is though, because of Trey standing in, uh, it's interesting from from my perspective because I, I actually don't. Of course, Trey plays death metal and heavy metal. He's one of the founding fathers of the genre, if you like. But it's in my eyes, and I think this is true for a lot of fans too. He's uh, surpassed any genuine labelling. Okay, he's he's gotten to the point where he's joined Van Halen, Richie Blackmore, Jimi Hendrix, and some of the blues greats like BB um, mm-hmm. King. Mm-hmm. You know, he's at that point. So I think what what you'll find is there's always going to be very strong interest in whatever it is he chooses to do with himself. You know, it's he's he's, he's a global phenomenon, really. Well, I think that um, he. He will never be without uh, being in demand, whether it's Hmm. producing, writing, whatever it is, Um, because he's getting older, you know, and he comes off the stage and he says, Mom, you know, that was kind of heavy duty up there. And he's he's tired when he when he comes off. And there have been times that I have heard some fans that he will stand out by the bus. Hmm. in cold weather, and he'll turn blue. And he'll actually stay there until he has answered every question from every fan. Mm-hmm. And he is, he, he's so unusual. He's, he's, um, uh, he is, he's announced, and, and I think everyone knows that he has Asperger's syndrome. Right, okay. And he attributes that to what he has been able to do and produce. And he has an IQ of 153, so he is a genius. Yes. And he has tunnel vision. And when he grabs onto something, he's going to take it to the limit. And Mm. I remember one time talking with Gunter, Gunter Ford, their manager. Yep. And um, Gunter telling me, he said, you know, Trey has created his own genre. And I said, yes, I think he has. And the thing of it becoming, going from heavy metal music to death metal Mm -hmm. was during the time that there was a band called Death. And, you know, they broke up because the front man passed away. Mm -hmm. And then Morbid Aim was, was just kind of shoved into that genre and that's how they came about to be a death metal band and I'll tell you honest to God I didn't even know that death had nothing to do with death (laughs) until about five years ago I I thought it was like God dying more of it all all this negative stuff and then when I realized no, there was a band, <laughs> and it was out, and they kind of picked it up. I think they were one of the first death metal 
after the the original death man. So. Well, I think but, between yeah. between Chuck Chuck Schuldiner, who you're referencing there, of course, the the frontman and guitarist yeah. in Death, and Trey's playing. Uh, you could you could argue a case there for Larry Lalonde from Possessed as well. Put him in there as well, and the work that he did there very early on. But I think if it wasn't specific for those first two, so Trey and Chuck, I don't think death metal would sound like it does now. It just wouldn't mm. sound the way it does, you know. And and the reason for that is because of the precision in the guitar playing. I think that was between those two, particularly Trey. It was really when you started to get what I call or term the guitar hero aspect of it, you know real, genuinely, mm-hmm. technically proficient. And I've spoken to, at this point, now that I'm talking to you, I've done 450 interviews. The vast majority of them are with people in the world of death metal, extreme metal, black metal, whatever it might be, just under the broader banner of heavy metal. I have never mm-hmm. had anybody disagree with me on that point when I've raised it. I've never That's, had anybody yeah. say, oh, what about this guy or that guy? Whenever I've mentioned Trey specifically and talked about Chuck, um, it's always been, yeah, you, you're actually spot on. Of course, there is, there's napalm death in the UK and there was sadistic execution down here in Australia, but they were more about noise and about extremity. They weren't about precision. And that's the key thing. It's about right. excellence. And I think that's what, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an observer, when I look at Trey, particularly when he's performing live, there's only one word that comes to mind, and that's excellence. That's a fellow that has mastered his craft. Well, you know, I I believe, I truly believe that when Trey is playing, it's Trey and the guitar, and they go into some realm that they're not really present. They're Hmm. in some other area where they're one. They are one and playing with the rest of the band. And he just wraps himself around what he's doing and again, like I said, he has tunnel vision. Hmm. So, and it's really funny because of the Asperger's problem. You know, he has really, really social anxiety, but he can play in front of 100,000 fans, yes, yep. jump off the stage and interact with all of them. That's not a problem. And that is because he doesn't have to think. He knows he's in charge. He knows what he's doing. He knows that these fans think great things about him. But to walk into a restaurant, no, he can't do that. Okay. It's very hard. It's very hard for him to socialize. So. Hmm. Yeah. So okay. That's been a downward. But, but he, um, he's happy. He's in his off time when they return from a tour. Of course, the first thing he does is sleep and eat and drink for three days, drink, you know, <laughs> waters and <laughs> replenish himself. Yeah, for sure. But then after that, he he watches every single video of every place they played. And he he really gets into it and he kind of picks it apart and he says, yes, this is wonderful. Or oh, maybe we could tweak this a little bit. But he does that for days and days and days. And then mm. after that, he gets into his own little mood. He's basically a very silly person. <laughs> he loves um, making his own little silly videos. He does. He spends a lot of time doing that. He has little fishing expeditions that he has made into videos that are on YouTube. Yep. And um, he just, uh, he does his own thing. He's, he's, he's just, he's his own person. So, hmm. and I respect that. I respect so many things about Trey. His honesty, his kindness, his influence on his fans, his love for his fans. Mm-hmm. And when... Fans realized who I was on Facebook. Yes. I was inundated, you know, with, with comments. Mm. And so many of them wrote to me and said that if it had not been for Trey, they would have never picked up a guitar again. If it had not been for Trey, their lives would have not turned around and gone forward with a good attitude. That's so if true. If it had not been Trey... Mm-hmm. He saves my life. And so all of this 
just inspires me so much and makes me so proud that um, he's a good person. Yeah, a good person. There's a lot of love out there for him. There truly is. You know, so should he ever want to start talking to people and doing podcasts and YouTube video interviews and all of that sort of thing, man, then, then I think people would be so grateful to hear from him firsthand. But, you know, you, you mentioned something in there that I think is so important too, which is that you've you've been... I know, because we've had our... Of course, this is how we, we sort of got introduced to each other is because we had an interaction over Facebook. But you've been so lovely in your interactions with me and no doubt with all of the other fans as well. And, and from a fan's perspective, look, heavy metal fans, we're a bit of a different breed. You can appreciate that, okay? Some of us, some of us come from pretty unique backgrounds. We've been through stuff. Um, sometimes we don't generally fit into society. So when people look up to somebody like Trey and there's his mum and someone yeah. sends a message to you mm. and you're so kind in return, and I, and I bet I can all, I can, and I hope this has been the case, and, but I'd put money on it, that you've only received really lovely comments about Trey's playing and about Morbid Angel because um, I hope people treat you with respect that way because it's, it's important that they do, of course. But... It, it doesn't surprise me at all that Trey inspires that and that you've been so nice as to give some of your time for the fans as well. Right, right. Well, of course, I'd say I've always been his greatest fan, but I was his first roadie, I'm telling you, back in the day when <laughs> back in the day. he was putting this band together. Nobody had a car. Nobody could drive. Hmm. And so I had a car with two tops. That was a long time ago. And we would take the T-tops off, and we, I had guitars and drums and coming out of every place. And I would drive them around from little venue to venue. So hmm. I take credit for being the first <laughs> roadie of Morbid Angel. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, yeah, look, it's, and, and look, back in those days, was it Mike Browning or David that was in the band singing? Uh, it was David. David... Um, well, let's see. Mike Browning goes all the way back to mm. before the band was really, really formed. Um, I think Trey did a talent show in high school, and the girls started screaming then. So I thought, holy moly, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> screaming for my son. But, <laughs> but then uh, David came into the picture and was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and had some connections up there. So he came down and kind of packed up Trey and took him back up there. And um, I think they did something um, on one of the labels. I think it was one of the labels that... Um, Tammy Baker, you remember the I th Bakers? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was the same label that she used. And then they, that kind of dwindled out, and then they moved back to Tampa, and they did a like a clubhouse living where they were so poor. <laughs> I remember taking huge bags of groceries over oh, there wow. just so they would have something to eat. Hmm. And, um, yeah, the first album, um, it was, uh, it, it took off and, um... What do you, what do you consider to be the first album though? Do you consider the one with Mike on it, Abominations of Desolation or is Alters, do you consider Alters to be the first album? Well, Alters was actually the first album. Hmm. I have the seven inch box, the black box, um... I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, no, not at all. Like, yeah, tell me about that. Uh, well, it was a, a limited edition of uh, their first box uh, uh, record container, yep. and it was um, it really didn't have a name. I guess it was actually along the same time as Alters, mm -hmm. and I remember. There were two songs, uh, the intro, which was done by, I believe, done by Trey on a uh, piano or synthesizer or something. And then the last song was In Remembrance, and that was dedicated to me. So I've Beautiful. always been yep. really, really happy about that. Okay. And then there's been other music 
um, you know, songs that I've enjoyed, but but that was very special. That was special to me. So I bet it was. Yeah, I bet it was. When they came back, um, they did their first European tour back in '89, and Pete had come from San Salvador and started in with the band. And uh, David was uh, the singer, frontman. And that went on for quite some time until uh, Dominations. And that's when the separation came with David and and Trey. Trey, um, it's funny because he runs a really, really tight ship. And for 31 years, how many bands have been popular and still going heavy for that length of time? Not many. So he tried to make everyone realize that it was his band. He was in charge. And sometimes that would get kind of off kilt. So, and after Dominations, they, they, Trey and, and, um, David. David, we're going kind of in different directions. And Trey said, this is not the way I want to go. So that's what happened. And and then Steve came on and did a great job. We love Steve to death. And um, then after a while, Steve kind of, I don't know if he burned out or what happened. Hmm. But then he left and then... Jared. Jared Anderson, uh, yeah. Yes, who is, you know, bless his heart, filled in for a couple of tours, and then um, they brought David back in. And um, uh, as far as David goes, um, I have great respect for him. I think he has a tremendous amount of talent. Um. Of course, you know, everybody in the world, I'm sure, knows by now, but I just was very, very offended and thought it was pretty low that that he could not just separate himself from Morgan Angel and, and do his mm-hmm. own thing. That he he tried to keep part of that going with him, and I just felt that was unfair. and. Even his album cover was very, very much like their first album cover, and the colors were different. And hmm. so, I um, I believe he's in Austin, Texas, and I think he has a country band. Yeah, he does. Western, yeah, yeah, he's doing roots. Whatever you want root, to call it. Yeah, roots and country yeah. music sort of thing. I've, I've actually had a chat. Trey, I think, is the only person. Trey and Eric are the only two people that are currently active that I haven't spoken to from the Morbid Angel camp, actually. So I've spoken to Steve and, and the like. And what, what, I, what I think, and I say this in a, in a positive way, David Vincent is a rock star. There's no two ways about it. He could have been fronting Bon Jovi, in my view. He's just got that yeah. rock star yeah. thing. And, and the thing about I Am Morbid, so that's obviously, you know, that's the... the the moniker that he's adopted, and he's got um, he's got Tim. Remember Tim Young? Of course, you'd, you'd know Tim. You probably met him a bunch of times. Who I think is a magnificent drummer. But oh I th- yeah, I oh think, yeah. I think it just proves that in terms of because the metal is all about the riffs and is all about the guitar playing. Doesn't it just say to you though how important Trey's guitar playing is? That there's enough space for two bands playing his music. Mm-hmm. That that speaks volumes to me, and that was the first thing that I noticed about it too. Because I think a lot of people were like, "Oh wow, David's going out there almost in a cover style setup with new musicians." Yeah, and, you know, exactly. he's, he's got he's got half of he's got you know Tim from the Elude lineup, and and I always rated Tim when he was in Hate Eternal working with Eric as well back in the day. I th- he's a magnificent drummer, and and I watched them when they came down to Australia. Of course, I watched them when they came down to Australia in Brisbane at the Hi Fi mm-hmm. there, and Tim was just. Wow, I was really blown away. I don't, I don't, I think Pete's my favorite all time drummer, so it's very hard for me to sort of say that he's better than, than, than Pete. And I don't want to get into any of those contests about that sort of stuff. But Tim, I think, is really just, he's just got a very specific bang on top of its style that I think suits David. So, but yeah. I guess the original point there stands, which is that it's, 
I think it's wonderful to see that fans clamour for Trey's music and that there's enough space for two bands to be performing. And, and the way that I look at it from a commercial perspective, now, look, I'm just a... I'm at university, I'm a journalism student, but I've also done marketing. And look, I actually think in a lot of ways, David being out there doing what he's doing helps Morbid Angel. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Because mm. it keeps that earlier catalogue alive because that's all David is playing. He's only playing the first four albums. Yeah. It, it keeps yeah. that catalogue alive, like I think. Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it keeps it alive, which means that fans then go on and they might purchase um, or stream the album, which from a commercial perspective can only really help Trey. Mm, that's the yeah. way. That's the way I looked at it. Well, it might be overly positive looking at it like that, but yeah. Trey was involved in a lot of the stuff that that um, David is doing, but Trey just had had enough because David was becoming a rock star. He he was very good with with the audience. He could play the audience mm-hmm. and did a really good job, but. He just was becoming more like he wanted to go into kind of like a Kiss band. And Trey is so fanatical with what he wants to do and what he wants his band to do. And they just didn't see eye to eye. So. What about but, um, Eluders? I think it's a very good album. I've got to say, and I was I was offended on behalf of the band by the hysteria that surrounded it, because I thought it was a welcome change of place. I was I was let's face it, a lot of the fans love seeing David and Trey. They don't know the background, right? So they see David and Trey up on yeah, stage, yeah. and they get very excited. Let me tell you. And and I think exactly. I think fans felt like they were let down, but I also think a lot of fans didn't approach it in a mature manner. They weren't taking the music as a snapshot of an artist at that particular time, because he always felt that they had an album like Kingdom Sustained in them. Trey, I'm talking about, sorry, had those sort of riffs floating around. But I I, I felt as though on Illude, it was the best sounding album from Morbid Angel, meaning that I could hear everything Trey was doing on his guitar. And of course, for me, being a guitarist and a bass player, that's really important. And actually, the reason I listen to the band for his guitar tone mm-hmm. and the things that he does. So, so did, were you were you sort of um, I wouldn't say nervous, but when you listened, I guess you you got a preview of the album before it came out. But did you expect that there'd be a bit of a backlash when the album came out? I wasn't really sure. I I had. I had known that Trey had been thinking about the um, that style of music for quite some time, acoustic, uh, more of a, I don't know what you would call it, but um, he, uh, after hearing the album and after some of the lyrics, um, I don't know, that, I, that was a really hard time for Trey. Hmm. I can imagine. That album. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a very hard thing, and and um, there had been some things that had been done behind him, and he just, um, yeah, for a year, I'm telling you, it was, it was not worth even talking to. <laughs> really, well, that's that's such a shame yeah. to hear, and it does it does echo then my sentiments, which is that I don't think people acted maturely around that album. And, and you know, you've given a bit of insight there as to some of the stuff that was happening behind the scenes as well. So I, I'm a great believer in allowing an artist to be expressive, okay? Artists exactly. are allowed yeah. to do what they want. They're not on, on the fans' payroll. It's like same thing with I'm a big fan of rugby union over here, so I, I hear fans yell at coaches, you should have done this, you should have done that. What you're, you're, you're privy to all of the intimate goings-on in a football club, so you can yell at the coach and tell them what to do. doesn't work like that and it doesn't work like that with creative types either like Trey you know and it was a left turn but I felt it was a welcome left turn and I I bought the album on vinyl and me and the kids listen to it all the time we love it and Mm -hmm. we love Mm -hmm. it it's it's um yeah there were some songs on there that were really uh really good and um uh like I said Trey just just felt like he was being undermined in a Mm. couple of ways and um uh things didn't turn out the way he wanted them to that's all i can say yeah yeah fair um, enough yeah what about what about your favorite morbid angel album does that exist in terms of do you think he's yet to write it for you or is there one out there that you really <laughs> like above and beyond all of the others well i i don't think i have a favorite i mean i don't sit around and listen to morbid angel i i um whenever i can get to a show there's 
been several shows in the St. Pete, Tampa area, and I went to a couple of shows in Atlanta. I love, love, love watching them live. I think there is just nothing better. And I think that Dan has been a terrific, terrific add-on. Excuse me. Dan Bedham Vaughn, yep. The fact that he has been able to take some of Trey's leads and and he's done well with them. And Trey loves Scott. He thinks he is amazing. Mm-hmm. So he he's happy, you know, with the band. But like I said, he needs to get to Europe. So yeah. that's what they're working on right now. They're they are. Uh, I don't know if I can show this, but. They we can, we can remove it later, more. yeah, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. But they are going to have one more tour, U.S. tour, in November. So okay. that'll be November and December. But then after that, <clears throat> uh, there has to be some decisions made. So Okay, there you go. That's, all, that's right. all I can say for that. But. All right. So, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trey Trey's had this, so many interests in his life. Um, when he was, I guess, when I really realized that he was, you know, better than just ordinary, um, was when he was very young. He one of his first great interests were dinosaurs, and I mean to tell you, he mm. learned everything there was about dinosaurs, and he challenged college people and was better than them, knew more. And, <laughs> Doesn't surprise me, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he got into bike riding, bicycle, and he would jump anything that he could find to jump. In fact, I think there's a few pictures about him jumping. Yeah, there is. And yep. flying through the air. And then he loved go-karts, and he did quite well on those. And I was fortunate enough to have some friends that were into road racing, not NASCAR, but um, road racing. And Trey was able to be actually in the pits at Sebring and um, Daytona. So he's just had a lot of things that have interested him. And But once he picked up that guitar and strummed it, that was it. So nothing else. Came that was into it. the picture, but that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And why, why do you think he chose to go uh, so deep into death metal and to, into extreme metal to become, I, I constantly refer to him as the chairman of the board of extreme metal guitar playing, but he, <laughs> he, he could have played anything. Let's face it, he could have played country, he could have played funk <laughs> or jazz, but what apart from the, the Ted Nugent, the introduction to hard rock and heavy metal via t- Uncle Ted there, what do you think drew him toward that sort of music, you know, to play it? I think, in in my opinion, I I believe it had a lot to do with the Asperger's and how tense Trey was. He had so much energy hmm. inside of him that this was the main t- type of music that he could release that energy and, and get out there and do something that he enjoyed and and could settle him down and. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, I just uh, think once that grabbed him and once he realized what he was able to do, there was just no stopping. And okay. there's still no stopping with him. And even though people say that death metal is kind of on its downward spiral, but... Oh, God, no. No, God. I, if anybody says I, that, just listen to Trey's playing, you know. There's no way it's on a downward spiral. <laughs> it's, if anything, it's certainly my experience, this, this, is, this will interest you, okay? You know, apart from Pete coming from El Salvador, if, mm-hmm. you know, proving that even in the band, it's an internationally flavoured band, Morbid Angel. But mm-hmm. I've, I've travelled a lot. I've gone to the Philippines. My wife's half Philippine. I've got mates that are in the Philippines that play in death metal bands, such as uh, Omen Filth, these sorts of bands here. I'm sure they're, they're all big Morbid Angel fans. But the point is this. Death metal alongside jazz, and I, and I truly mean this because I've spoken to so many people about this all over the globe, they're the two genres mm-hmm. across every uh, cultural, religious. That's really mm-hmm. important. 
that's really important right there. <laughs> Death metal crosses religious boundaries, cultural boundaries, yeah. uh, multi-ethnic boundaries, the whole gamut. It's the only style. There are the two types of music you can walk into Buenos Aires in Argentina and there's plenty of death metal bands. And I understand you can go to Iran and there's a heap of death metal bands over there, even I'm led to believe in Saudi Arabia. So we're talking, really? yeah, truly, yeah. And the the Iran thing isn't such a surprise, really, because um, there was a a book written by a fellow over there about Chuck Schuldina. I can't remember what, I think it was called Story to Tell or something like that, but apparently got funds from the government to write it. I mean, I read this on the internet a while ago, so the source might not be, be available for people to check. But I remember reading that, but I've certainly spoken to a ton of people all over the globe and I haven't had anybody disagree with me on that point either. And they're just talking about what they notice when they're walking around, you know, Reykjavik in Iceland, you'll see a Morbid Angel t-shirt. You can almost bank on it. Oh, my goodness. You know, yeah. you can almost bank on it. I know in Australia here, you know, it's uh, this death metal will never, ever die. It, it we just won't no. die, you know. There, there will always be a, a fella or a gal wearing a Morbid Angel T-shirt somewhere in Australia. <laughs> well, even Kim Kardashian, there was something I about... I saw that. I reposted that. I saw that and I reposted it because it was, was it the Covenant album or was it Domination? I can't remember. It was one of the two, but it was a long sleeve and there was Kim in all of her uh-huh. makeup and glory with a Morbid Angel t-shirt on. And I said, I remember saying to a mate of mine at the time, yes, we've finally done it. We've cracked the mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was wonderful. And I think, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but hear me out here. I actually think there's a lot more to them just wearing that as a fashion statement. I actually think the Kardashians, including Kanye, they could be fans. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, they've worn they, Megadeth they, T-shirts, yeah. Cradle of Filth T-shirts. I never thought about that, but they're right. Yeah. 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 Well, the genius Kanye attracts genius. You know, meaning that I, I think Kanye is brilliant, right? A lot of people, again, disagree with me on that. But he's uh, he would he would find a lot... That's an interesting musical partnership right there, Kanye and Trey. Imagine that for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been trying to get Trey to do some sort of side project because I think it would be just absolutely phenomenal, whatever it would be, if even a different type of music or a different um, sound or something creative or do it with a female or... Or do it with Pete, a drum and a guitar. And, That'd um, be awesome, yeah. We talked about that not too long ago, and of course he first said, oh, no, I don't think so. And But I think I planted a seed, so maybe, maybe he's thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea. Great idea. I, I really do, too. I, I, I know that there's been a lot of fans that have said that, that Trey should be doing, you know, a side project, that they would love to hear him do one. And I'm sure it would go over big, just like everything else he's done. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what's in the future. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? When you've got somebody as creative as what Trey is, and as technically proficient as he is on the guitar, he could take his talent anywhere. And as he gets older and yeah. you know evolves even further, who knows where he'll end up? He probably doesn't even know. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it, it harks back to that thing that you said earlier. Okay, so I'm going to read out something. I know I know I sent this through to you before and you read it, but I'm so glad that you picked up that you feel that his his musical ability comes from another dimension or another realm, because mm-hmm. on that document that I sent through to you, this is what I said. I said. His technique comes from somewhere distant. It's as if an mm-hmm. interdimensional god force chose the precocious George, of course, that's his birth name, as, the, as its vital earthly muse, offering the young man mm-hmm. an astral passage to the outer reaches of the galaxy where various gases are combining to form stars, and only on this condition that he practices and fine-tunes the groove of his inimitable guitar playing. Because that's, that's how I feel about his guitar playing in his, in his paragraph. Well... Trey grew up in a Christian family, so he has the deep-seated basics of what a true, not these phony things that are following Trump, but a true, true Mm. Christian values. And that was one thing I'm so glad that was embedded into him, 
because I don't think he would be the type of person that he is with his kindness and his his feeling and his love and all of those positive things if he had not grown up that way. So hmm. in that respect, I am, again, extremely proud of him. Indeed. Look, I'll make this my last question because I, I, I can't say this enough. I really appreciate you answering, you know, my question in this conversation that we had. It's truly, it's honestly one of my, oh, I'll say this to you now, it's, it's, I was a little bit nervous beforehand because I'm talking to Trey's mum, you know, and even though I've done 450 <laughs> interviews, I was thinking, wow, you know, I mean, it's such a special and unique thing that you've, you've given me the opportunity to do. So thank you so much for that. And as I say, I'll make this my final question, which is that mm-hmm. obviously you're very proud of Trey and what he's achieved, okay? But what are you most proud of about him? Um, the, again, I, I go back to who he is inside. The kindness, the honesty, the, the caring, the helpfulness, the love that he has for his fans. And he's humble. He's humble. Every time I say to him, Trey, you have no idea how well-liked and loved you are around the world. Mm. And he just is like, oh, yeah, kind of loves it off. But it's true. He is. He's very well-respected. And I guess those values and what he has accomplished with three guitar lessons that didn't go fast enough for him. (laughs) um, Yeah, uh, he's brilliant, and I, I'm very blessed, very blessed to have had him. But of course, I keep reminding him, you know, you wouldn't have a morbid angel if it wasn't for me. And she just laughs. <laughs> You're, you, you are, you are the the uh, the mother, or probably more specifically, the godmother of death metal. There you go. <laughs> you got to think of yourself that way. If you if you were ever if you ever had an honorific title, I reckon that works for you. The Godmother of Death Metal. Well, no, I'm very honoured that you uh, asked to do this. This is actually my first interview. Of course, I get you know I have a lot of attention and talk to a lot of people at the shows, but hmm. this is, to me this is big. <laughs> this is very very nice of you to do this. No, it's been I really. Well, there you have it. That was one of my favourite conversations ever conducted for the show. In almost 700 interviews, that's within my top 10. What a lovely, kind-hearted soul she is. I'm so appreciative that she gave me the opportunity to have the chat with her. Cool. All right. So go across to scarsandguitars.com if you like that one there, because there are many more conversations. They might not just be like that one there, but they're in the same realm, all the conversations from the world of hard rock, heavy metal, extreme metal and beyond. And also, if you like listening to the show, maybe you'll like reading about many of the guests that have appeared, including Janelle. She's in my book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. On the website, click on the link in the banner and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you can download a sample. And if you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you personally. On that note, I've got some more information to share with you about the book in the moment. But before I do... My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew Mackay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. 
I think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it. Yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was... He was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.